Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for redeeming us, for saving us from our sins, giving us life, Lord, so that we can Open your Bible today, and Lord, hear you speak to us, Lord, that life within us that responds to your word. We pray, Lord, that, that you would uh, sharpen our hearts and minds now as we look into what, your word, what it says in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to, uh, again, a new portion here, which is going to be Hebrews chapter 13, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 11. Uh, we're just going to Look at this passage here, and again, on the theme of behold the blood. So again, if you want to look at it, it's fine. Otherwise, I'm going to read it to you. Exodus 24, 6 is a backdrop for Hebrews 13, 11. So first Exodus uh, 24, 6, in which we have been studying in our series here on when Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar, and he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant. That's our theme. Behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord hath made with you concerning these words. Now Hebrews 11, part of what that blood was, is for us to appreciate this morning, Hebrews 13, 11, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Wherefore Jesus, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. So there again, we go back and we look at that time when Moses was standing before the the church of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai. He takes the blood of the sacrifices, he sprinkles it on the people, and he says in Exodus 24, behold the blood of the covenant. And that's the basis for what we've been doing here. It's so important, this word here, the blood of the covenant, and what he accomplished, what the Lord Jesus accomplished. That's the important word the theme here of what the Lord Jesus accomplished on the cross from John 19.30. John 19.30, when it says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head. And so we want to never, ever, ever look at that passage and think that the Lord Jesus was saying, phew, I'm glad that was over. That's finished. That's not it at all. But what he meant when he said it is finished, because uh, although the Greek says to tell us die, but he didn't speak Greek, So in the Hebrew or the Aramaic, what he said 
was athah. In other words, it's, it's over. Psalm, it's the, it's the completion of Psalm 22. Psalm 22 starts off with this great darkness, this great darkness with a question in the first verse. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that was the Lord speaking there. And all of Psalm 22 is about what the Lord accomplished when he would died on the cross for our sins. But it starts with a question. Psalm 22 starts with a question. Why? Why is the question? Why have you uh, forsaken me? It starts with a question, and it ends with one word, one Hebrew word, which is the answer to the question, and that Hebrew word is accomplished. Asa, accomplished. So the Lord says, he asked the question in Psalm 22. Psalm 22, one. Why hast thou forsaken me? And then a partial answer comes in verse 3. But thou art holy, Psalm 22, 3. Thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the, the praises of Israel. This is the sigh of his soul when he says on the cross, yes, God is holy, and I've been made the sin offering. And that's why I've been forsaken. And the suffering continues through all Psalm 22 as the Lord is feeling now not only the physical suffering, but the suffering of being despised and rejected and scorned, as he says in Psalm 22, verse 6, Psalm 22, 6, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. And the suffering continues throughout the whole psalm as the Lord feels the physical pain of the dehydration and all his bones out of joint when they took his cross and dropped it in that socket in the earth. And with a great thud, all of his bones become out of joint. And then the pericarditis, the water that begins to encircle his heart there surrounding his heart as he says in Psalm 22:14, Psalm 22:14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, a broken piece of pottery. And my strength, my tongue cleaved to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. And then after he, fo- after he dies, in Psalm 22, his focus now turns to you, turns to me, as it says in, in Psalm 22, verse 30, verse 30, a seed shall serve him, it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. That was the answer to the great question in Isaiah 53. When Isaiah 53, he said, he was young, he was taken out of prison, and he was killed. He didn't even have children, so the question is asked, who shall declare his generation? Where are his children? Psalm 22 answers it in verse 30 when it says that a seed will serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. We are his children. We are his seed. We are his children, that his generation. And then it says what we're going to do in the last verse of Psalm 22 when it says, they, that's us, they shall come and declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born that he hath done this. He asa, that he accomplished this, accomplished. We're the seed that served the Lord. We're the Lord's generation. We are the children 
And what do we do? We do two things. First, we come and we declare. We come and declare his righteousness, not our own. His righteousness to a people that shall be born that he hath done this. We declare that he came. That means you and I step forward. We speak of him, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't shrink back. We're not afraid, but we come boldly, boldly out there. And the second thing we do is after we step forward is that we declare. We declare. We declare. That's very important. That's our job. We declare. Reminds me of the time when I was at Heathrow Airport. I think I told you this before in London. And just after I got my luggage, I was getting ready to leave the luggage area there, I saw one sign that says, nothing to declare. And everybody was going that way. And I said, well, that's right. I said, people don't have anything to declare. Isn't that a picture of the world today? Nothing to declare. But as Christians, we have something very important to declare. Psalm twenty-two, thirty-one: They shall come and declare. They shall come and declare his righteousness. Our first declaration, how good the Lord is, how righteous he is. That's what, how absolutely sinless he is. And we declare that when he said in John 8, 46, to his enemies, he said to his enemies, which of you convinceth me of sin? Which of you convicts me of sin? Let me hear it. And no one said anything. That's what we declare. We declare in Acts 10, 38, Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We declare that, but especially we declare, we declare that last word in that word in the Psalm 22, the last word in verse 31, Psalm 22, 31. We declare asa. We declare accomplished. We declare achievements, what he achieved, what he accomplished on the cross. What was it that he accomplished? What did his blood accomplish? To what avail? To what purpose was his blood? And that's what we've been seeing here. We declare that he accomplished the removal of our sins in Hebrews 9.22. We declare the redeeming of our souls from 1 Peter 1.18. 1 Peter 1.18. First one is Hebrews 9.22. We declare the covering, the atonement. We are in the period of time now for the Jewish people called Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. But the word Kippur is the same as Yamaka or Kippa. It means covering, uh, head covering. It means covering. It is the day of covering. We declare from Leviticus 17.11, Leviticus 17.11, without the shedding of blood, there is no covering for sin. We declare how his blood accomplished the effective covering of sin. We declare how his blood accomplished the, our reconciliation with God. We don't stand on the outside. We're now on the inside because his blood accomplished that for us from Ephesians 2.13, Ephesians 2.13. We declare his blood accomplished the cleansing for our souls. Is it possible? Is it really possible to have experienced spiritual cleansing cleansing of the heart, removal of guilt. Is that really possible to have the stains removed? God said, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow in Isaiah 118. Isaiah 118, but we declare that his blood absolutely, yes, accomplished the cleansing of our soul from 1 John 117, 1 John 117. We declare 
that his blood accomplished, asa, accomplished our peace with God. Our peace with God. We have peace with God through his blood. Colossians 1.20, Colossians 1.20. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked, God said in Isaiah. But there is peace, true peace with God in the soul because his blood accomplished peace with God. We declare that we are justified, that anyone who comes to the Lord Jesus will be justified by his blood, justified through his blood. Romans 5.9, Romans 5.9. And then from the last time we were together, we declare that his blood accomplished making our robes, what we are clothed in, white. Making our robes white in his blood. Revelation 7.14, Revelation 7.14. So those are the accomplishments that we declare that we are the generation, we are the people from Psalm 22 that declare what he accomplished, the asa, the accomplishments, the achievements of his blood. Now we come to one more accomplishment in Hebrews 13.12. Hebrews 13.12. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. This is the accomplishment of the blood which is our sanctification. Now, there's a a special aspect of sanctification that the blood of the Lord Jesus accomplished, and it's brought out for us in this verse, in Hebrews 13, 11, when it says the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. That's referring to the practice of what was done with the sacrifice, and there were two parts of the sacrifices. There was the blood of the sacrifice, and there was the body of the sacrifice. There was the blood of the sacrifice and there was the body of the sacrifice. So what we're told in Hebrews 13, 11, verse 11, is that the blood of the sacrifice was brought into the sanctuary by the high priest. That was on Yom Kippur. That was on the Day of Atonement, that we're, time we're in right now. That once in the year, the high priest would bring the blood in through the outer court, through the holy place, into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and make a covering for all the people, make an atonement for the sins of the people. And we see in that practice how our great high priest, the Lord Jesus, he brought his own blood before God the Father and presented his blood as an offering for our sin to make a covering for our sin, to make an atonement for our sin. And we're told that the body of the sacrifice was burned outside the camp. So the body was burned outside the camp, and that's the focus of our attention now in Hebrews 13, 11, is that our focus is without the camp, without the camp. This is what Hebrews 13, 11 and 12 are telling us, that just as those animals did not die a natural death, that they were killed. So this point is emphasized in verse 12 as there is, there's weight put on the point of the fact that the Lord Jesus did not die a natural death. He was killed, and, and, and as verse 12 says, he suffered without the gate outside the city walls of Jerusalem. So this emphasis here of without the camp is important for us to see, and to see this, we need to think back again at what was done to those animals before, as they were sacrificed, because before those animals were killed, before they were even killed, hands were laid were placed on the head of the animal, and then there was a confession of the sins of the people made over those animals with, again, the hands of the priest being on the head 
of the animals as that animal became the sin offering as the sins were laid there, so to speak. Very dramatic representation, a dramatic symbolization there of the placing of the sins of the people on the animals as the Lord would be, as the Lord would bear our sins from Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray, turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Also in Isaiah 53, he shall bear the sins of many. So the priests were confessing as a representation the sins and with their hands on the head of those animals, teaching us how the Lord is his great title in John 1.29, John 1.29, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How does he take away the sin of the world? By having the sin of the world laid on him from Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53.6, Isaiah 53.6, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53.8, Isaiah 53.8, for the transgression of my people was he stricken, Isaiah 53.11, 53.11, he shall bear their iniquities. Isaiah 53.12, 53.12, he bear the sin of many. So then with the sins of the people on the animals, then the animals were killed and their bodies were taken outside the camp. And when the bodies were burned outside the city, that showed how the people should feel toward their own sin, that they should hate their own sin and expel it from them. Just as when the Lord Jesus was made the sin offering and he bore the sins on himself and he was killed outside the city on that little hill there called Calvary, it showed how much God the Father hated sin to the point that he turned his back on the Lord Jesus, causing him to cry out. Psalm 22.1, also in Mark 15.34, Mark 15.34, and the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So why? Why did the Lord suffer like that outside the city and allow himself to be the detested sin offering? It was because he had a purpose. He had a purpose of seeing his people have their sins removed. And so the emphasis now that the, that the animals are bound, burned outside the city was to show how his people should detest the sin, but it was also to show the people that they were to be, just as those animals were set apart, they were separated from the people, they were sanctified, set apart, when they were burned outside the city. And this is the point of the Lord's suffering outside the city that's emphasized in verse 12, Hebrews 13, 12, when it says, Jesus also suffered uh, outside the gate. And that's exactly what we read about where the Lord was crucified when it says in, in Luke 23.33, Luke 23.33, when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, where they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, one on the other, on, on the left. And it says that it was a place called Golgotha, a place of a skull. You can see that today in, in, in Jerusalem, just outside the city gates. So the Lord is crucified at a place called Calvary, or Golgotha, which means skull. In both languages, it means skull. And the Lord's crucified in a place called the skull outside the city, which, by the way, disqualifies the, the, the Catholic Church claims that he was uh, about the Holy Sepulchre. So the, the emphasis 
in verse 12 is that the Lord suffered outside the city, and that's the reason why he suffered there at Calvary outside the city walls. He was, Isaiah 53, 7. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And that is, so you think of that in, in Isaiah 53, 7, and you parallel that with Mark 15, 20. Mark 15, 20. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. All this is to show how that the, that when we follow the Lord, we are following him outside the city walls, outside the mainstream of religion, which in this case happens to be Judaism. And this is the sense of the word, sanctify. It means to be outside the camp, out of the mainstream of religion, which as I mentioned, and it means to be set apart. And this is the meaning, this is the concept behind the word sanctify. It means to be set apart. In this instance, we're talking about being set apart from the mainstream of life within that religion. Now, in order to see this, because this is what the book of Hebrews is all about, it's important to look at this from uh, 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 from what following the Lord Jesus means for a Jewish person, because after all, it's called the book of Hebrews. So last week, or last time we were together, I told you about the, 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 the Orthodox rabbi who came out from New York and and uh, and received the Lord Jesus, and then returned and told his wife the good news. He thought it was good news, and somehow she didn't think it was such good news. She wasn't as happy with he was as he was with his newfound Lord. And she told him that if he didn't renounce Jesus, that he that he was he could just prepare himself right then to lose her, to lose his children, to lose his house he lived in because her father owned the house and his synagogue and his mother and his father and all the other relatives and his job because he was working for her father. And his friends, apart from that, he have a very happy life. Have a happy life. So this is the issue that we're talking about here. She told him that he would be cut off or sanctified or set apart from the mainstream of Jewish religion and Jewish life, his whole community. And this is the issue. How is a person to have the courage? How is a person to, because I told you, he called me up and he said, uh, I, I'm, I'm, it's not worth it for me. I'm, I'm going to renounce. I told him, it is worth it. It, it. it will be worth it, but you have to take the step anyway. Pray for him. Maybe he still will. How, but how is a person to have the courage? How is a person to have the strength to leave the mainstream and to be set apart or sanctified? Verse 12 tells us how. Hebrews 13, 12. He might sanctify the people with his blood. This is the accomplishment of his blood. I told the rabbi that as hard as it would be, I encouraged him that, that, to, to, to turn his back on it all. We just sang, I'd rather have Jesus. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. 
Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, Creation Museum and Tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 